Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. I'm Dr. Rob Dixon, and today we have a special guest from Down Under, Dr. Alistair Meyer. Dr. Meyer is a, I would describe his bio as ex-surfer, world traveler, semi-professional cyclist, eh, Alistair, and senior consultant, associate professor at Monash Health in Melbourne. Welcome, Dr. Meyer. Thanks, Rob. It's uh, great to be here, and the, the technology is probably almost as good as what Neil Armstrong had when he landed on the moon 50 years ago. It's uh, great, great to hear you loud and clear down here. Oh, fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us this morning. I know it's early uh, down in Melbourne this morning, uh, but we appreciate you coming on. Um, so, Alistair, this one that we – I struggled to see which one to kind of talk to you about first, and I know that uh, this is one of my favorite topics, and you and I have lectured together a bunch and, and talked about this a bunch, but – um, how to sort out dizziness, how to tackle dizziness. And to me, this is the quiz essential emergency medicine diagnosis, isn't it? You know, I mean, these are, yeah. this is what we do. This is taking the, the undifferentiated patient uh, in EMS or emergency medicine and sorting out what is the cause of this really very, very common symptom. This is a very common presenting symptom. Yeah, we, we see we see people who and that, that's their primary complaint is dizziness, and it, it, you're right, it's a it's a huge area um, with some pretty catastrophic diagnoses uh, mixed in it, and some pretty uh, lame ones as well. So, yeah, it, it's a huge thing to talk about. So, how do you Al? How do you go after like? Just tell us your approach to how do you categorize? How do you sort these patients out? How do you get started? It's it's just so big. It's sometimes it's good to kind of build a framework. Yeah, I, I guess what you've you've got to have always in the back of your mind is 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 trying to rule out the worst thing first and and come backwards from there. So I try to teach our our junior doctors uh, to to have stroke in the back of their mind and and come backwards from there. But it all starts as with everything with a good history. Uh, a thorough examination and uh, then a decision of disposition where to take them. And I, and I was, um, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent aware of your stroke centers or not, but I guess that's one of the decision points your paramedics will be having as, as to whether to take the person to a, uh, a stroke center or, or, or a general emergency department is, is more appropriate. Um, but, but everything in medicine starts with a thorough history. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, because this is such a massive, massive uh, differential for this. I mean, it could literally fill textbook after textbook page in very, very, very small print. So the way I like to look at these is I, I, I sit down, listen to the patient and just ask him, you know, hey, what brought you in today? You're dizzy. Dizzy how? And I don't put words in their mouth. I don't say anything else. I just do the hardest thing it is for doctors to do and just don't say a word uh, for two, three minutes and, and let them describe their sensations. And when they're done with that, I kind of put them into a category that helps me work them up. So uh, dizzy vertigo or a sense of motion when it doesn't exist. Um, yep. And we'll talk about each one of these, kind of delve into these peripheral and central. And central is the one that Dr. Meyer was talking about. That's what we're worried about. We're worried about posterior circulation stroke, um, near syncope, syncope, or a sense of near collapse or faint, 
gait disequilibrium, which is really a sensory problem. These are, are usually kind of crumbly folks that either have diabetes, they have chronic illnesses. Their dizziness is more when they're up and about. It's never when they're, when they're sitting down. They don't have collapse. They don't have these other worrisome symptoms. And then my favorite category, Dr. Meyer, which is kind of what we call in Texas dizzy crazy or nonspecific lightheadedness. So that's when I've spent like 40 minutes with the patient and they're describing their symptoms to me. And then I walk back out to the truck and my partner says, what, uh, what do you think they have? And I'll, and I'll just say, honestly, I have no idea. Right. It's just, everything <laughs> is just a, a, a huge vagoma. Yes. Yes. Well, we, we, we have the same patients here, but we don't call it Texas dizzy down here. <laughs> I, I might try that today. I'm, 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 I'm a clinical shift today. So I might try, try that and see if our, um, our teams accept that as a diagnosis. So what are some of the things that you talked about history, focus on that and talk to the listeners about some of the key things that you try to pick out and, and focus on in the, in the, when you're taking the history on these patients. Yeah, well, Rob, um, you sort of touched on it before when you just spoke of the crumbly uh, older folk. Yeah, the speed of onset. Is this hit the person like a thunderbolt and it's a sudden onset? And that, that implies or that makes you think or, uh, that you really must rule out um, a vascular problem, a stroke or a, uh, or a cerebral bleed of some kind. So the speed of onset, if somebody has a... Has a um, sudden onset, then you've, you've really, that's a red flag and you've really got to uh, work hard to, to work out if this is a stroke or not. Um, if it's a, uh, a slow insidious onset or a, um, uh, a, a, a change in their behaviour that seems to have come on over days to weeks, then, then you can back off a little bit from your thoughts of a stroke. Um, and you've also got to uh, try to work out in the history if there's been a collapse or a sinkable episode with that as well. And they're sort of the key starting points before you head back into the background. And, and as you touched on just a moment ago, if there's diabetes in the background, um, other comorbidities, are they a vascular path from other, cause, other causes? Um, uh, uh, have they got uh, cardiac arrhythmias, cardiac complaints as well? The whole background history is important. For example, chronic um, paroxysmal AF, and they get AF from time to time, then that might lead you to think that they've picked up a clot and this is a stroke as well. So um, the speed of onset is perhaps one of the keys to the history. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We kind of teach our medics here. I think I've said about a million times, like if, if the patient was perfectly fine and then they were suddenly unfine, Right. That is a vascular event until you prove it otherwise. Right. That is Correct. a stroke. Yeah. That is a dissection. That's a coronary occlusion. It's an intracerebral hemorrhage. Right. You have to think that it's some type of vascular cause. So that's as, right. As we as we head off into this, Al, can you let's dig a little bit deeper into vertigo? Can you just describe to listeners, you know, what what is vertigo? What is this? And how, well, do, you, how do you kind of give us some categories? Yeah, well, as a mate, Rob, you know that I've, uh, I'm have i a recent sufferer of vertigo. I'm sort of my eighth week now down the path of um, suffering from a vestibular neuritis. And um, the vertigo I experienced, and, and I guess it's given me new insight into patients when they describe it, I w it was like I was in the bottom of a ship heading towards the Antarctic 
and I'd had three cases of beer and a couple of <laughs> couple of bottles of red wine. <laughs> and the whole world was moving backwards and forwards. And it was there the whole time, whether I lay still or whether I stood up, it didn't, didn't matter what I did, it was there the whole time. Um, so, so true vertigo is a sense of ongoing movement um, when there is none. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a horrendous feeling. And you know, you, you, I, I was, and now it makes me reflect on patients I've seen over the years. I was holding my head still, yet it was still. And I was trying to stop the world moving and, it, and, and you, you just can't. And it didn't matter um, if my eyes were open or shut, the world just kept moving as if I was in the bottom of a ship going through the biggest waves you've ever seen. Um, and that's, that's what you've got to get out of, out of the, the patient who presents, and I, I'm doing air quotes here, dizzy, um, uh, is very different to a person with true vertigo. And it was, was interesting when I was rolled into the emergency department that I was taken to, the, um, the lovely paramedics handed me over as um, this bloke who's having dizzy spells. Well, I wasn't having dizzy spells. I was having true vertigo. The whole world was rotating around a variety of points. So that's different to the patient I'll go and see in a couple of hours time who will describe, a, or they may not describe it, but you've got to try and get this out of them, a lightheadedness or a um, unsteadiness of their horizon, which settles very quickly. It's a very different sensation. Right. Couldn't agree more. You know, so when we're talking about vertigo, or as Dr. Meyer said, sense of motion and an acute onset like his episode. I'm, and I listened to that story and actually he had me at everything except for the boat trip to Antarctica. I could see the two <laughs> cases of beer. I could see the yeah. two bottles of uh, Yara Valley Red. Um, but you have me with the trip to Antarctica. I know that you yeah. don't like the cold weather, doctor. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this is a terrible, you know, sense. And these patients look horrible. They're vomiting. Uh, they are just absolutely miserable. And the sad thing is, is this can be, this can look exactly like a posterior stroke. And one of the things that, that we try to focus on, on how do you sort these out? And you can apply a stroke scale to it, which uh, would be the B fast. So, the B uh, and E stands for balance and I. So it's trying to help us pick up in a stroke scale, those posterior strokes that are, are kind of, I would describe them in our dog brain, right? They're in the back of the brain, which is responsible for balance and coordination and really mental alertness. So sometimes you'll see uh, some altered mental status. And I like to think of the five D's of the posterior circulation. So dizzy or vertigo, diplopia. Yep dysarthria, dysphagia, or difficulty swallowing, and dysmetria or limb ataxia, clumsiness of the upper or lower extremities. So the way we teach it is if you have dizzy, you have an acute onset of vertigo plus one or more of these other signs either on their, in their history or on their clinical exam, that's a posterior circulation stroke until proven otherwise. That's kind of the I think the easiest way for me to approach the thing and try to sort out, gosh, who, who's more likely to be peripheral and who's more likely to have a stroke. Yeah. And I, and I agree. And, and also into your, into your thinking in that Rob, of course, comes uh, your, your parallel history taking of their past history. Do they, uh, 
do they have risks for, are they in a, a, a stroke risk group? Um, uh, are they a smoker? Do they have diabetes? Um, have they had strokes before or other um, embolic events? As I mentioned before, cardiac arrhythmias and the like. So, so you've, you've got to try and put the, the parallel stories together um, with the patient. But you, you're quite right, the speed of onset um, plus those other uh, central signs uh, need to be elicited at the start. Yeah, I think really, really valid and good point, uh, Dr. Meyer, uh, that he points out, like, who are strokes most likely to happen in, right? They are most likely, they can happen in anybody, but they are most likely to happen in people with great risk for them. So as he said, diabetics or chronic hypertensive, smokers, diabetes, these types of things. So let's move on. Yeah. We've, we've covered dizziness, kind of peripheral and central, peripheral being an ear problem without all these other signs, and central being another acute onset uh, dizziness plus one of these other neurologic signs concerning for stroke. Let's move on to near syncope syncope. Can you talk to us about how you kind of approach these patients, these potential when, when the patient describes a, a near faint hour or a collapse? Yeah, well, well that sort of, that, that really changes our diagnosis away from a, a primary neurological event. I think if, if they've had a, well, sorry, it doesn't change it away from it. it. It adds to it that perhaps there's a cardiac event occurring as well or an, a vascular event away from the brain um, ruptured aneurysms uh, would, would be sort of top of your, your, the list there so, some other uh, vascular event it, it's very important in in these patients to to try to again work out um, their past history and if they're at risk of, of such an event um, have they had cardiac arrhythmias in the past have they had uh, other vascular events in the past? Duodenal ulcers come into this, gastric ulcers, any cause of blood loss, um, uh, pregnancy and, and ectopics. Uh, you, you've opened up the whole, uh, whole Pandora's box of, of syncopal diagnoses as well. But often their presenting complaint is just simple dizziness. Um, and Again, nothing beats a good history and, and vital signs. If this person who's just dizzy has a postal drop when you measure their blood pressure, then you've got to um, uh, open the door to a variety of other diagnoses. Right. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I kind of put them into two different categories when I think about near collapse or collapse. Um, so if you just look at syncopal patients or near syncopal, it's actually, it, it confers about the same risk, which is somewhat, you know, extraordinarily high. I would think, you know, it's almost 10% of these patients end up having some type of really bad adverse event in the near term. And that's why we're so concerned about them. And the fact that they didn't completely lose consciousness plays no effect on that. So that risk remains the same, whether they pass smooth out or they don't, as we would say in Texas here. Um, you know, we try to categorize these as, as syncope, as syncope plus, and then everybody else. So syncope plus, I mean, syncope plus a set of uh, historical and, and clinical findings that lead you down a diagnostic pathway. And I'll give a couple examples. 80-year-old acute onset of belly and back pain with near syncope. Uh, you get there and the blood pressure is 80 on 40, I think. Triple A, rupturing triple A. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
26-year-old female, missed period, acute abdominal pain with uh, kind of soft blood pressures and just severe lower abdominal pain. Yeah, you, you, the, the younger folk too with no other comorbidities, you, they, they compensate their, their pulse and blood pressure really well until they're just about to fall off the cliff. So your, your 80-year-old patient uh, will drop their blood pressure and keep it down and probably still be pre-syncable if you like when they arrive at the emergency department but you're 26 year old you're probably under 40 year olds if there's nothing else going on with them they can describe a pre-syncable or a syncable event yet have completely normal vitals and can often mislead us um, to a, a different diagnosis because they're so fit and well so i think we've really got to listen to their story of, of a syncopal or knee syncopal event because they'll they'll run along at a nice blood pressure until they fall off that cliff right so what do you do so we've kind of talked about a couple of examples of syncope plus but then you have the just done passed out now well and no symptoms what do you do with those people what do you look for in those people yeah, well, you, you've got to scratch the surface of the history and, and the, the example you just gave of a 26-year-old with a missed period, well, if, if she's pregnant until you prove she's not. She's having a miscarriage until you prove she's not. So you've really got to go looking for a, a, a diagnosis. Um, that, that may not happen with your paramedics in the back of the van, but you've got to uh, have that, 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 that's got to be in there the back of their minds that there's something else going on. We just haven't found it yet. Right. And when you talk about arrhythmia, I'll, I'll remind the listeners. So uh, in a completely asymptomatic patient, right, we always have to worry about is this some cardiac dysrhythmia. So uh, when we, when we review EKGs and we've uh, done a, a video cast on EKGs, uh, kind of a spoiler alert, we started a new series called the MCHD paramedic podcast 360, which is, kind of three to five minute short video clips um, where it really supplements the education if you can actually look at the procedure, the, the thing, the EKG. And one of those uh, we did was over EKG. So when we think of in EMS, we kind of focus, hyper-focus, I think, on the ST segments and on STEMI. But in syncope, remember, we're looking for other things on the EKG that are killers, um, i.e. long QT syndromes, um, uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, where you may see big uh, left ventricular hypertrophy in, say, a young person that would kind of clue you off to, to some of these other abnormalities. Yeah, and, and even uh, your, your rhythm disturbances, AF, would probably be your most common, and in the younger person, uh, an SVT of, of some kind or another uh, SVT of some kind. There's also, um, we had a chap the other day who was first onset of VT. Um, there, there are some unusual present, presenting rhythms and, and that's also very important for your guys in the field to, to have a look at. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And, and as Dr. Meyer uh, pointed out earlier, you know, when we think about posterior stroke risk and we're, we're working up this diagnosis, right? Who has who is more prone to these atrial fibrillations to malignant ventricular dysrhythmias? It's people with old flabby hearts, right? So it's our patients with chronic rhythm disturbance, chronic coronary disease, CHF. So when I start hearing those in the history, 
that makes me more and more and more worried that this could possibly be some type of dysrhythmia that caused their their event. That's right. Yep. So let's move on, Al. And I'm just going to touch on gait disequilibrium or multisensory dizziness. Um, this is kind of one of those ones that's uh, vague oma. It's These are usually in patients with chronic uh, coexisting disease. And when you think about it, it should make sense to us that we really need three senses to balance, right? Or two, really two senses to balance, right? We have our, our sense organs, our eyes, our vestibular system or our balance system, and then kind of the feeling, our posterior column proprioception or where we, where we are in the planet. And so when you see doctors kind of uh, have people stand still and hold their hands down and have them close their eyes, what they're really testing is, is are those posterior columns, is that proprioception or feeling of where they are in the planet, is that intact? Because when you close your eyes, if you don't have that proprioception or you don't know where your feet are on the planet, you need two to balance, right? You can't just balance right. with your vestibular system. So, no, you you definitely need the second one. And and, and as I alluded to before, I, I've um, learned this only too well the last eight weeks myself. Right, right. And these are these are patients that usually this is a sensory issue. Um, That's right. Almost all the time, these are elderly patients. These symptoms never occur when they're sitting down, they never have collapse or other symptoms with it. It's only when they're up and mobile, never when they're sitting down. And usually, honestly, this is a tough one. It's almost a diagnosis of exclusion, isn't it, Al? A lot of these patients get worked up, they get neuroimage with, with MRI and things to exclude that they've had some type of little cortical insult or, or stroke. Yes, that's, that, that, that's quite true. And, and, and the, the background history is is large. They've, they've got lots of other things going on. Um, they're probably the biggest group who present to us, um, but and, and the hardest to work out. They're a large group, and and usually it's a it's a minor insult to to one of their uh, balance systems, um, the triad you spoke of, and 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 we probably won't find what it is, um, and, and they're very hard to. To work out what's going on but but the the key to these people are, are back to old-fashioned history taking is there other issues going on do they have other chronic complaints and and you're right they're usually the older folk that we see coming through the department right so that that brings us to our last category or the, my favorite non-specific lightheadedness so dr meyer's been in the patient's room um, for 45 minutes, he walks out looking quite frustrated and has no idea what's going on with the patient. Doctor, talk to us about how you approach that and some of the some of the things that you focus on, some of those killers that still are in the differential for that patient with just the vague, vague sensations of dizziness. They're imperceptible. They're not really well described. Well, again, this this opens another door of, of differential diagnoses. Um, uh, supratentorial diagnoses, you've got to think of uh, psychiatric, psychological illnesses as well. Uh, stress and anxiety would be probably number one of the list, but, but also um, these sorts of people often um, obscure parts of their history and, and hide from the fact that they've, they may have taken some uh, toxins, may have taken more medications than they should have, may have even just made an innocent mistake and taken two lots of their uh, medication or missed their medication. 
Um, so whilst these are frustrating and difficult patients to, to try to work out, um, there are many of them who have, um, again, in air quotes, a, a real diagnosis that we need to get to the bottom of it. And, and of course, um, these people often have multiple comorbidities and our old friend sepsis could be lying underneath it all as well. So there, there are some tricks we need to eliminate and, and to um, uh, make the diagnosis of Texas crazy is probably not the best thing to do on these patients. We've got to really try to narrow it down. And, and, and if not, we've got to keep them in hospital till we figure out exactly what's going on. But they are very difficult and disposition from the, from the emergency department is, is a, a tricky problem. Right. I couldn't agree more. I mean, before I put pen to paper and say nonspecific lightheadedness, I think the, the point to make is, is to open your mind and, and remember that there's a lot of uh, pretty gnarly differential diagnoses that Dr. Meyer just went over uh, that can exist in a fairly normal patient, normal appearing patient with a vague history. And what are those? Think of myelopathies and neuropathies, um, toxins, as he alluded to, sepsis, pregnancy, pulmonary emboli. So lots and lots of killers out there. So I'm not suggesting we have to uh, Uber work up all these people. I'm just saying have a have a look. Make sure we have a good look at their vital signs. Are there vitals? Are there clues in there? Are there vital signs, abnormalities? Are there historical or physical exam clues that will help us? kind of pin down what's going with them. Yeah, exactly. So we've kind of gone over this big approach in this, this huge topic of dizzy. So we've gone over peripheral vertigo, peripheral versus central. So an inner ear problem versus a posterior stroke. How do we differentiate those? And we talked about looking for those posterior circulation signs um, that would indicate stroke. So dizzy or vertigo, diplopia or double vision, dysphagia, dysarthria, and dysmetria or limb ataxia, um, syncope, syncope plus, kind of the risk of that and, and how we work and risk stratify those folks. Um, a little bit about multisensory dizziness or gait disequilibrium. And then we finished up with what to do with the kind of vague presentation. And I don't know about you, Al, but a lot of, uh, if you're young and healthy, I, d I tend to not test some of these that are in that last ca category. So I, I get a EKG on every one of these patients, a pregnancy test if you're uh, childbearing age, and a good history and physical examination. And if you're kind of in that last category with normal vital signs, you know, you may be on the clinical spectrum of something bad, but it just hasn't declared yet. I think still some of those patients can be safely discharged with good return instructions. So kind of the take-home points, guys, listen to that history. Listen for a, some sudden onset. Look for those clinical signs on the, on the examination of the 5Ds of the posterior circulation. So uh, vertigo or dizzy, diplopia or double vision, dysarthria, dysphagia, difficulty swallowing, or dysmetria, limb ataxia. Make sure you check their gait. What's their, you know, assess their mental status. Remember that the posterior circulation strokes can kind of cause uh, in, in some patients. That is your awakeness and alertness. So sometimes we see some fairly bizarre presentations. And I think the most common misdiagnosis is that we think someone's on a toxin when in fact they've had a sudden event and had a stroke. Make sure we pay attention to the bottles and as always blood glucose and 12 lead in, in all these patients. Correct. Yeah, we, we had a... Um 
uh, patient a couple of years ago who presented with just soft ataxic signs, and he was a he was a chef and couldn't quite do his job properly because he was just a little bit unsteady. And it turns out when you scratch the history further, he had a very uh, vigorous Thai massage a few days prior to it and uh, essentially had bilateral vertebral artery um, uh, tears to both vertebral arteries, and which, which caused his posterior stroke. So again, it, it sort of highlighted to us that it's all in the, the, the history and the story taking to make the diagnosis. So I, I had a, uh, an intern who came back to me very excited that he's got the whole thing worked out and he'd really only spent 10 minutes with the patient and found out the, the information that this guy had a deep tissue massage a couple of days before. Um, and, and that sort of sealed the diagnosis to us and, and all the, the radiology tests thereafter just proved that my intern was right. So um, a, a sad story, but uh, again, highlights that everything's in the history and examination. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Alistair, thank you very much for joining us this morning. I know it's a, an early morning for you down there in Melbourne. It is, but we have good coffee, so that's, <laughs> that's, that's the main thing. Well said, my friend. So uh, for the listeners out there, uh, as always, uh, if you have any questions, comments, uh, please like us and share our uh, podcast. If you, uh, you can email us with any questions at the podcast email. It's podcast at mchd-tx.org. Andy, thank you very much for manning the boards and getting us hooked up with Dr. Meyer this morning. And we'll talk to everybody Thanks, soon. Andy. Cheers. Thanks, mate. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.